the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. But from time to time, we have authors, artists, guests who are making a difference in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Joining me is my friend, Dr. Doug Groteis from Denver Seminary. He's a professor of religion at at Denver Seminary. Doug, welcome to the program. So, Leroy, what's going on? He's on, but I don't hear him. Doug, are you there? Hello? Yeah, use your big voice. Okay, use your big voice, Doug. I didn't hear anything. Am I on? Yeah, you are on. And okay. and I think it's because we have a delay. Just in case okay. Doug Groteis decides to say something well, that just is that is unlawful according to FCC. But I know you're never going to do that because the Bible says, "Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth." And you take Indeed. stuff like that serious. I do. I just didn't hear anything for a while. That no, it's was okay. My, it was my nothing. Book. No, no, it's okay. And you know okay. what? Earlier today, you sent me a, a headline in an article from the Denver Gazette that says man sneaks into Denver school, harasses parents and staff over Black Lives Matter event officials. And so the headline basically paints a picture of a man who misrepresents himself, misrepresents his relationship both to the school and the community, pretends to be a parent, pretends to have a child, and then uses the opportunity to become intimidating and abusive, and it made national headlines. Right, and this is exactly the wrong way to respond to controversy. Uh, but but there is controversy here. Uh, this has to do with Centennial Elementary School uh-huh. in Denver, and they are implementing a Black Lives Matter Week of Action Mm-hmm. starting January 31st through February 4th, and this got some attention on Fox News and some other places. And I didn't know much about it, but mm-hmm. when I read that article, first of all, I thought, well, that's not a civil way of voicing your concern at all. That sets back any good effort doing something stupid like that. But then I thought, well, why is this person concerned? So I checked out what's going on, And this is an elementary school now, Mm -hmm. and what they're doing, or they will do, from January 31st to February 4th is uh, celebrate this Black Lives Matter Week of Action, and they're teaching students these basic principles. Guiding principles, they're called. Yeah, it's called 13 Guiding Principles for Black Lives Matter at School Movement for Young Children. And this is what some people are really concerned about. Some of them sound terrific, um, 
Restorative justice is the commitment to build a beloved and loving community that is sustainable and growing. Uh, empathy, loving engagement. Okay, diversity is a celebration, acknowledgement of differences and commonalities across cultures. Okay, as far as that goes, that's fine. And But then we get into some other things that are more questionable. Globalism is our ability to see how we are impacted or privileged within the black global family that exists across the world in different regions. Globalism means that we are thinking about all of the different people of uh, people all over the world and thinking about ways to keep things fair everywhere. Well, that, that sounds good, too, but we don't live on the globe. We live in America. Mm-hmm. So I think it's legitimate to consider our own neighborhoods, our own state, our own country before we uh, level everything out in some kind of global situation. But then things get really bad. The next one is transgender affirming. This is elementary school. Mm-hmm. Is the commitment to continue to make space for our trans siblings by encouraging leadership and recognizing trans antagonistic violence while doing the work required to dismantle cisgender cisgender privilege and uplift black trans. So now folk. now we have to do a little bit of a translation because we're speaking yeah. like in a foreign language. We're speaking woke. Yeah, yeah we're speaking woke. Now you know what cisgender means. I know what cisgender means. But for the person who's listening right now, they, 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 they're familiar with the word transgender, but they may not be familiar with the word cisgender. What does that mean? Right. Well, that was a word that was made up recently, and it means traditional gender. Men are men, women are women. Uh, heterosexual monogamy is the norm, that kind of thing. So why so do elementary are- school workers have to dismantle that view and how does dismantling that view uplift black trans folk well i don't think it does uh let me read the rest of it here okay everybody has the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own heart and mind everyone gets to choose if they are a girl or a boy or both or neither or something else and no one else gets to choose for them so this is the idea that your identity sexually is completely up to your own arbitrary choice. So the idea that you were assigned a gender, let's say by God at birth, <clears throat> male or female, has to be overthrown because that's part of the cisgender privilege notion, right? That family should be a man and a woman, marriage should be between a man and a woman, and children come into the world in that loving relationship. That supposedly is narrow and dogmatic and privileged, and this uh, disadvantages people who are trans or homosexual or lesbian or whatever else it is. And what I want to know, first of all, I don't agree with that because I'm a Christian and I believe the nuclear family is God's way, God's design, and really the backbone of society. But there's another question here is why in the world is a public school that receives state funds, tax-funded schools, why are they even teaching this at all? Why don't they just stay out of it and let the parents decide how to teach well, about And let's talk about that for, for a minute, Dr. Doug Grotheis, yeah. because I know you've done a, the deep dive into critical theory and critical race theory. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. all over America, our country is dividing into schools that teach this and schools that refuse to teach this. 
or by a growing group of parents who say, you know what, Um, we believe that we as parents should determine what is taught our children. And critical theory and critical race theory seems to undermine the nuclear family, seems to undermine Western civilization. I'm I'm hoping I'm I'm not sounding like hyperbole. It It seems to undermine the fabric of what it means to be a human being in a Western civilization context. So, so we're asking that, that great big question, and that is, what kind of a country do we live in, and do parents, and should parents serve not just as the primary, but that, that, that they should be able to, to ask and answer the question once again about public education? We've only got a minute, but I'm, we're, I'm trying to put this in a – in a frame it in a way that we can talk about it. Well, it is very serious. For example, one of the other values here, or principles, is what's called black villages, is the disruption mm-hmm. of the Western nuclear family dynamics and a return to the collective village that takes care of each other. So Black Lives Matter talked about disrupting the nuclear family on their website, and then they took it down because so many people were bothered by that. But here it is again in the mm-hmm. school program, the disruption of Western nuclear family. Disruption means we don't like it. We want to uh, disturb it. We want to bring it down. Uh, we don't want these cisgender people uh, telling us the way we should act, so we need to really destroy it. When we come back more with Dr. Doug Grotice, of course, the big headline seems to be that oppressors could... Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Dracy. We're talking with Doug Grotice about a headline at the Denver Gazette. Man sneaks into Denver school, harasses parents and staff over Black Lives Matter event. Now, one of the, I guess the great big question, Doug, is, again, as we ask and we answer the question that you're bringing up, well, what is this event? What are they asking parents to believe and embrace? And does there come a point where parents push back and say, even though this man did something that was inappropriate, maybe inappropriate sounds too mild because Mm -hmm. he's misrepresenting himself. This is no way to initiate the conversation. How do you initiate the conversation? How can we talk about it? What should and can parents do to say, hey, you know what? What they're doing, what they're embracing is wrong, and we don't want to participate with that. Well, first of all, be informed and know what schools are teaching. Now, Centennial Elementary is the only school in the district that has adopted this Black Lives Matter week of action, so that's good, uh, but that they could be in the vanguard. Mm-hmm. It, it's the second year they've done it, and it could be the next year more schools will do it. So you need to be aware of what your children are being taught, And also, this is the same school that uh, had Families of Color Playground Night Mm -hmm. about uh, a month and a half ago, which riled up some people because they they wanted to only have families of color show up for this activity. And it's interesting that uh, the state constitution says that no sectarian tenets or doctrines shall ever be taught in a public school, nor shall any distinction or classifications of pupils be made on the basis of race or color. 
nor shall any pupil be assigned or transported in any public educational institution for the purpose of achieving racial balance. So that was in the Denver Gazette about a month and a half ago. So this is a very, quote-unquote, progressive school, and maybe it's not typical. But you see, a lot of people are so concerned about the racial situation in America that they basically lose their minds. Mm -hmm. And they think, well, it's terrible. We have to do something. We have to do anything. We have to create diversity. And so, gosh, this organization, Black Lives Matter, what a great name. Of course, Black Lives Matter. So let's just get on board and support it. Hold on. The founders of Black Lives Matter are Marxists, and they have admitted to be Marxists. They were they call themselves trained Marxists. Mm -hmm. And so Marxism wants to bring down American society. And going back, way back, to the, the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels, they said the, the regular traditional family is a product of uh, bourgeois economics, so we need to bring it down. And once we have the revolution, we will bring down the traditional family because that's a unit of power and property and oppression. So it's not unusual. It's not bizarre that Black Lives Matter would issue mm -hmm. this kind of a program that calls for the uh, disruption of the Western nuclear family. Now, how many people really want that? Some do, no question, but I think a lot of parents do not want that. So, uh, honestly, uh, I think the way things have been going, and I've been looking at this for over 40 years, I think the best option is for parents to put their children into private schools or homeschooling. Mm -hmm. or, or a very uh, solid, conservative charter school. There are some out there, and thank God for that. But the liberals hate the charter schools now. They used to love them, and then when they, a lot of them became conservative and pro-American, they turned against them. You know, one of the interesting articles that was written this week as well is that the superintendent of schools for the Denver Public School District talked about many, many schools are at risk of closing. He talked about this sort of confluence of covid remote learning failing, um, parents refusing to send their schools or their children back to government schools, in part, not just because of COVID, not just because of remote um, uh, learning, but, but again, this ideological shift, which insists that something like this is more important than reading and writing and arithmetic and language skills, verbal skills, uh, think uh, thought skills. Well, exactly. I think what happened with a lot of parents is that when they their children had to learn remotely, they were there with the children watching what they're being taught. A lot of it was this very left wing ideology, uh, very much in the the critical race theory view of things. And they said, "Wait a minute, we don't want our kids to get that." So they started homeschooling them, or perhaps. Uh, looked into private schooling or a better public school, like some of the charter schools. Uh, my son-in-law works for a great charter school in the Sacramento area. So they're out there. Uh, but you've got to look for them. You've got to be very careful. And you have to realize that very radical ideas are now mainstream in our society. Uh, this, this is not people screaming in the streets in, in 1970 and then they somehow went away. 
what happened is they became professors and they became politicians and they became journalists. This is what's called the long march to the institutions. And here it is in an elementary school in Denver, Centennial Elementary School. You know, one of the one of the paragraphs in the article that you sent me, it says, in addition, the school has received angry, vulgar emails and calls from people outside of Denver and outside of the state angry about the BLM school week of action. So, again, if we ask and we answer the question, at what point can we, not in anger or using vulgarity, but ask and answer the question, what if what you are teaching, proposing, and advocating is exactly the opposite of our deeply held beliefs? Now, what's interesting to me is, again, the growing group of people who identify with all of the things that you just said. Do you think we're st- that that's still a minority position, or do you think that there is enough resolve among parents who, who will say, hey, you know what, I'm not against justice, but and I know part of your long commitment to as you've studied philosophy and and taught religion, is it possible to have a view of justice that's absent goodness and virtue? In other words, does justice exist in a vacuum or are there other things that we have to think about even when we bring up the word justice? Right. You have to define it. You have to explain what you mean. Do you mean equal treatment and equal opportunity? That was really the civil rights vision. And uh, the, the uh, critical race theory people do not mean that. They mean basically dethroning or destabilizing the cisgender, patriarchal, white, hegemonic establishment. And so someone like Ibrahim X. Kindi says, if there's any uh, differential outcomes between whites and blacks today, then we have to discriminate against whites to bring it to where it should be, to a statistical representation. And that's, that's not equal opportunity and equal rights. That's a very heavy-handed statist approach to working things out by percentages, period. And so we've got to talk about what we mean by equality, what mm-hmm. we mean by justice, what we mean by human rights. And a biblical view is that all human beings, red and yellow, black and white, are made in the image and likeness of God. So they should be treated with dignity and respect. However... God has the prerogative to tell us how to lead our lives sexually. You know, he's God. He created us. He designed us. And some ways of acting uh, sexually are unhealthy and ungodly and immoral, and other ways are not. Now, I'm not saying you discriminate against people who are different, but you have to have some kind of moral standard to bring to bear. You can't choose your own gender. I mean, I can't choose to have been born in California. I was born in Alaska, and I can't choose to be a woman. I'm a man. And I can't choose to be the most famous philosopher in the world because I hear that I'm not. (laughs) So, you know, reality does get in the way sometimes for what we want, for, you know, for who we are. We are who we are, and there is a God who is in a position to uh, tell us how to live and to love each other and respect each other, but that... You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, and that way leads to death. Are you able to stay a little longer? Sure. 
This is Gino Geraci along with Dr. Doug Grotes. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci joining me, Dr. Doug Grotes. We're talking about some of the challenges that seem to be proliferating in our culture, including not just uh, the advocating of, of critical race theory, but it's shameless, senseless um, repetition in, in our school system. Now, what, what's interesting to me, Doug, is in critical race theory, Christians, particularly white Christians, and Christians, at least in our culture and society, are represented as the oppressor. Now, in Psalm 9-9, the Bible says the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In Isaiah one seventeen, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Why do you suppose that critical race theorists see Christians and Christianity as the enemy and that we are, in fact, the oppressor group? Well, it really goes back to the fact that the roots of this are in Marxism. It's kind of a neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism. But they retain this idea that you split up societies into oppressors and oppressed. And, of course, it's a sinful world. Everyone is victimized in one way or another, and everyone is a victimizer in some way or another. And in certain periods of history... Certain racial groups have been oppressive over other racial groups, absolutely, like during slavery in the United States or during the Jim Crow period and so on. And racism still exists, and it needs to be rooted out because we're all made in the image and likeness of God. But see, when you go back to the Marxism, Mm -hmm. and then you add this strong racial component to it, uh, you simplify things. So... White people, just by being white, and especially if you're a white male, you have white privilege, and just by being white, you are somehow oppressing and hurting and disadvantaging other people. So this means that you have to be chopped down to size, and any person of color has to be given special privileges. Now, now just think about that. Now, mm-hmm. sure, there are people that have been disadvantaged because of their color, no question. But let's think about, let's say, a white man who's 30 years old who lives in Appalachia, and he's third-generation welfare, and he's addicted to opioids. How, how is he part of white privilege? How is he part of an oppressor class? Um, so I think, you know, biblically, we should be much more concerned about people who are poor, you know, whether they're red, yellow, black, or white. I think economic disadvantage should be our main concern. For example, I got something from the American Philosophical Association, and they're offering special grants for people of color to attend conferences. And I thought, why? Uh, Why not just make it economic? Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't have enough money to attend a conference, some black folks do, some black folks don't, some white folks do, some white folks don't, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That makes a whole lot more sense than just saying, that color defines who is oppressed or who is the oppressor, it's much more complicated. And when you start thinking of everybody in terms of group membership, you have what's called identity politics, and that really undermines fundamental notions of citizenship, 
of equality because we're made in the image and likeness of God, equal treatment under the law, which is constitutional. We start thinking about hyphenated Americans, you know, black mm-hmm. Americans, Latino Americans, uh, everybody's hyphenated. And sure, respect your your background, your ethnic identity, that's wonderful, but why not just Americans? You know, um, the the socialist and the Marxist, if I said to them what it says in Isaiah 117, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, some of them might say, I don't have a problem with that. But has it been your experience and your understanding that when socialism or Marxism takes hold, that they provide the best remedy for justice and the best remedy to correct oppression? Does their philosophical view and then their actual lived experience result in justice and the correction of oppression? Oh, absolutely not. No, socialists are good at pointing out unhealthy, unjust situations and then providing a remedy that makes everything worse. So if you look at the history of Marxism, look at what happened in the Soviet Union, what happened in Red China, what happened in Cambodia, in, uh, Cambodia, that's Venezuela. Yeah, Cuba. This, this is not is, the is there even a single example that we can point to and we go, hey, look, it worked. In other words, the charge, the reason why it hasn't worked in those circumstances, they they haven't done it right. Yeah. They're not doing well, it right. But yeah, that's I'd say, I'd say 100 million people executed by their own countries under Marxism in the 20th century disqualifies you forever. Right. <laughs> so it just does not help. Look at Venezuela. It's a very prosperous country. They have tremendous oil reserves, and then Hugo Chavez comes in, socialist, uh, takes over property, makes everything controlled by a centralized state, and his successor has done the same thing, and, and they wreck the country. It just doesn't work. So what socialists want to say is, oh, no, we have uh, inequalities of wealth. So somehow a socialist takeover will bring about the equal distribution of wealth. Well, it doesn't do that. In fact, it inhibits productivity, it takes away individual rights and opportunities and innovation, all the rest of it. And here's where we need a realistic worldview, which is Christianity. The perfect society awaits the eschaton, you know, it awaits mm-hmm. the second coming. And so we have to think of political and cultural arrangements that will minimize damage and allow people to use their freedom and opportunity as best they can, but you're not going to eliminate economic inequalities. You're not going to somehow eradicate all racism through a socialist program, but you can ameliorate problems. You can set up situations where success and advancement are possible, but you can always point to dishonesty, uh, economic uh, injustices, and so on. But I want to say don't accept something where the so-called solution is worse than what's going on right now. And that's, that's what socialism offers, and that's what critical race theory offers. You know, again, I think of Isaiah 117, do good, seek justice, correct op- oppression. And I think back to, we just celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King, who basically said, 
look, however we deal with this problem of good and justice and correcting oppression, that we're not going to be able to correct oppression by becoming the oppressor, by violence. But yet there seems – it seems to me that every single socialist state came about through a violent revolution, a violent revolution. Do you anticipate that these problems and the division can get so profound that that people might resort to violence? Well, they already have. I think of the summer of 2020. Right. And the, the, I think billions of dollars of damage, maybe two dozen people killed, uh, police buildings burned to the ground, cars incinerated, people terrified. Uh, and this is during the pandemic. They're supposed to be inside wearing their masks. And, and this is not the way to make anything better. So I think a lot of people are worried. Well, we're also seeing an increase in crime in major cities uh, because the idea of law and order and respect for authority is broken down because people say the whole system is broken. The whole system is racist. So we just have to destroy it. Mm-hmm. So we need to defund the police. And and what happens? You know, these places that wanted to defund the police see this huge spike in the crime rate and say, well, I guess we better bring back some police. No kidding. <laughs> unless, unless you somehow eliminate the fall and eliminate a sin nature in human beings before the second coming, you're going to need police. You're going to need military. You're going to need people in authority. My guest, Dr. Doug Groteis, will have more when we come back. Hey, welcome back. My guest, Dr. Doug Groteis. He's the professor of religion at uh, at Denver Seminary. He's also the author of several books, including Philosophy in Seven Sentences, Unmasking the New Age, Truth Decay, and of course, his life's work, if you want to use that term, Christian apologetics. And I want to just shift our conversation just for a mo- moment, because part of what we've been talking about is... There's a growing um, dissatisfaction with a biblical worldview, and your whole life has been dedicated to not just advocating the biblical worldview, but but bringing forth arguments that the biblical worldview and biblical faith makes the most sense. And by the way, congratulations on Christian Apologetics in the second edition, and it's my understanding I read from IBP that Christian Apologetics is going to be translated into Spanish. It is. Yeah, I'm happy about that. That's exciting. Yeah, the first edition is translated into Korean. I think that took uh, the translator, who's a friend of mine, three years to do. Wow. So uh, I need to contact her and say, well, get busy again. (laughs) have more to do on that. Well, in the second edition, I think you added some stuff, like on the problem of evil and worldview. How can Christian apologetics help us not just advocate for a biblical worldview, but stand strong in hope as we see all of these civilizational and cultural things begin to erode around us? Right. Well, we have to be more than just another... uh special interest group with uh-huh. a loud voice or a megaphone. Uh, we need to advocate for what we take to be true and rational. So, 
it's very significant for every Christian to have a good sense of what the Christian faith actually is, what we believe about God, human salvation, morality, and then have a reason for the hope that is within us, First Peter 3.15. And that's what I've tried to do over the years. So if you're confident in who God is and his direction in your life, uh, then you won't be afraid to raise your voice. And also through the Holy Spirit, uh, you can speak and act with gentleness and respect. That's also what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Do this, have a reason for your hope, defend what you believe, but do this with gentleness and respect. So, for example, I was very concerned about this school teaching the Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. program. Uh, So I I wrote a letter, and I put it in the mail to Mm -hmm. the... Um, principal. The principal. Yeah, and it was very factual, very matter-of-fact. Uh, no threats, no vulgarity, no insults. I just said, I don't uh, think this is a good idea for students. I think a lot of the parents would disagree with it also. And why do you even want to be teaching all these specifics about uh, sexuality to elementary school kids? Uh, so we need to be civil. We need to be principled. We need to be people of prayer, people of courage. And, um, you know, there's this old expression, fight fire with fire, but the fire we need is holy fire. And holy fire is not burning down buildings. It's not insulting people. It's, you know, the fire, the fire in our bones, the fire of Jeremiah, the conviction uh, that God is true and he stands behind us in our actions when we follow him, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we march to the beat of a different drummer certainly. And it's the drumbeat of the universe. Yeah. It's the drumbeat of God's ways in this world, and we don't always get it right, but we cannot fall into the intimidation, the insults. Uh, we do just need to know what we believe and why, and then put it into action in a civil, humble, and prayerful way. That's what it's all about. You know, one of the interesting things that's taken place over our lifetime is Three decades ago, academics might argue that Christian faith, Christian confidence, Christian belief, Christian ideology is 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 not true and probably irrelevant. But in just the last few years, you see not not only a a dismissive view of Christian Christians and Christianity, and even the irrelevant argument. There's a growing group of voices that are saying Christians and Christianity are dangerous to civilization, right. to society. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you that's say? certainly true. And what we need to do is, first of all, not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus said, fear not, little flock. So if people make those charges, then we need to be able to rebut them rationally and wisely. And a lot of what I've done through my career is just that and trying to help other people do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people might say if you support the traditional view of the family, heterosexual monogamy, then you hate trans people or you hate uh, homosexuals or something. And they have to say, no, we don't. In fact, recently I had an article published in a secular philosophy magazine called Philosophy Now. Mm-hmm arguing for biblical view of marriage and just trying to set the record straight. And they published it. It's amazing. 
didn't get paid for it, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had an article in a secular magazine defending a Christian view of marriage and saying that uh, a, a Christian who is a homosexual man, that was the example that they were using, could be satisfied in life by following Christ and denying the same sex or acting out on the same sex attraction. And I, I made that argument because someone had written an article saying that Christianity would be just terribly cruel to anybody who was same sex attracted because they couldn't act out um, on their sexuality. And I said, no, from a biblical perspective, that's not true. You can deny yourself, you can find community and love uh, without sexual experience in a same sex manner. So, anyway, what I'm saying is that uh, if people do attack, a biblical viewpoint, then we need to, if we are able, and if we are competent, to give a response and put it out there and try to correct the falsehood with the truth reasonably and uh, civilly present it. You know, it seems to be a growing uh, experience of people who want to do exactly what you just said. They want to respond with gentleness and respect, but there's a growing group of voices that are yelling and screaming, and then canceling the voices that once you begin to advocate for such a thing, what's happening, like, for instance, in Canada right now, where they passed a a law on uh, conversion therapy, where they basically said the Christian view, well, they didn't say that explicitly, but they, 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 they talk about the Christian view being mythical and stereotypical, instead of a claim about the reality of what it means to be human or what it means to be a human being made in the, you know, how we express ourselves, that that whatever view may or may not be true, the Christian view has to be eliminated as a possibility. Yeah, I think they're further down the road of secularization than we are. Yes, yes. But uh, they, they may be setting the bar. For people in the United States that want to religiously hollow out the country, and uh, you know, you hear people talking about freedom of worship. Well, that's not in the con- that's not in the Constitution. It's freedom of religion, mm-hmm. and uh, freedom of religion allows for religious activity in every aspect of society, the state, the school, wherever it is, so long as no religion is established by the law. But on the secular left, the idea is we want these people to just stay in their little churches and do what they want, but we don't want them to have any say in politics, the state, the school. Uh, they just need to keep all that to themselves. And in fact, if they don't, then we're going to cancel them and marginalize them, or even maybe arrest them if they do something that is against our agenda of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, wokeness, critical race theory, etc., well, congratulations on Christian Apologetics uh, in the second edition and all of the addenda uh, or that you um, included with Christian Apologetics. Again, for people who want to know more about Dr. Doug Grotheis, where should they go to get some information? Yeah, go to my webpage, DouglasGrotheis.com. You'll find lots of blogs and links. And uh, if you'd like me to speak at your church Event? or do a debate or do anything, you can contact me there. Thank you so much, Dr. Doug Grotheis. You're welcome. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.